You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Good morning. About 15 years ago, I was moving my family from Columbia, Tennessee to Cincinnati, Ohio. And we had scheduled an appointment with a realtor to go to try to buy a house because we were moving there to pastor a church. My little girl, Morgan, who was only in second grade at the time, had gotten sick, and she spent the night in the hospital the night before we were supposed to leave the next day. But they sent her home the next day, and she kind of laid around for several hours. And you know how kids just get better all of a sudden? They're like laying around, and then all of a sudden they just get up, and they're better. So she got better that evening. And my mother-in-law was there, and I said to my wife, I said, I think we can still go to Cincinnati. We're just going to get there late. It was about a five-hour drive. It was evening, and so we left, and we got into Cincinnati about one in the morning. I'd stayed up with Morgan the night before at the hospital, and then I had not slept much that night because we drove till about one in the morning, and we had an early appointment with the realtor at eight, and so I hadn't had much sleep. We looked at houses all day, went to dinner with some people in the church that night, came back in after 11 o'clock, and I was just exhausted. And I get ready to lay down, But I hear some noise that sounds unusual. It's like the person who was in the adjoining room and there was a suite door that connected them. You know how they have doors, two doors? They had opened their door and they were messing with the doorknob on my door. And and I was wondering, are they like trying to come into my room or what are they doing? When their door shut, I thought they're just making sure that everything's locked up. I've done that before. I know what that's like. I laid down on my side. I go to sleep. And in about an hour... I hear that noise again. And I opened my eyes, and there's a window in front of me, and I could see a person, actual person, in our hotel room just walking across. I could see a silhouette like their nose, their mouth, the outline of their face. It was like the worst nightmare you've ever had in your life. It just came true. There is somebody in our hotel room. But I was frozen. I couldn't move. I wanted to do something, but I couldn't even move. And finally, I came out of the bed and just made a a great scream, just, ah, like that. And when I did, I scared them really bad. They screamed back at me, ah, and I recognized their voice. It was my wife. And it wasn't the door that I heard. It was actually the flap on the heat and air conditioner, you know, she'd gotten hot in the night. We sat down on the side of the bed. We're holding each other. We're both shaking like crazy. She said, you got to get some sleep or you're going to kill somebody. The reason I'm telling you that story is because I lay there that night and now I'm just wide-eyed. The one person in the world who needs sleep desperately and I can't go to sleep, I'm just wide awake. And you know what I start to do? I start to worry, even though the Bible says you shouldn't. I did. I begin to worry about the church. Will that go okay? I begin to worry about buying this house that we had seen that day. Should we? Is it a good house? Should we not? We never really bought a house, you know? I begin to worry about my girls. I'm moving my girls across the country. What if they don't really adjust to a new school and a new church? And I just worried. And then I realized that I'd gotten up so early that morning that I'd walked out the door of the hotel without devotional time, without reading my Bible, without praying, without reading my little devotional book. And so I thought, since you're not doing anything important like sleeping, you might as well, you know, get up and do that. And so I went around this little half wall, turned on a small lamp to try not to bother Annette. 
And here's what I opened my Bible to. The devotional for that morning was Paul's words to the Philippians. Don't, don't, don't worry about anything. But in everything, with prayer and petition, make your request known to God. Don't, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And I remember dropping that little devotional book to my side and I started crying and I said, God, do you mean to tell me that you came to me in some random hotel room in Cincinnati, Ohio because you saw me in my bed worrying and you prompted me to come in here and to open this little book because you wanted to tell me that I don't need to worry about Morgan or Brittany or the church or a house. I got this, Rick. Don't worry. I got it all. You don't have to worry. I've got your whole life. You're in my hands. Don't worry. And here's what it became for me. A very thin, T-H-I-N. It became a very thin place. It's like the distance between heaven and earth became so slim it's the distance that you sometimes feel from God just seemed to vanish. It was like I could almost experience or feel or see from this world into the next world. It was like I was in a, another realm, like a spiritual realm. See, we're going to study for the next four weeks about the life of Abraham. And as we do, we learn something about God. We learn that God comes to us. We learn that God reveals Himself to us. God makes Himself known to us. God actually speaks. Can you, can you get this in your mind? The God who created everything, He talks, and He talks to people like you, and He talks to people like me. He makes Himself known. He breaks through into our lives and into our world. And so what I want to do is talk to you about a man whose name is Abraham for the next four weeks. And I want to read you only a couple of verses today from Genesis chapter 25, verses 7 and 8. And the words will be on the screen for you. But we start with the end of his life. Now, this guy, Abraham. Abraham, who God one day said, Abraham, he had a thin moment. There was a thin place in his life. God spoke. God breaks through into Abraham's life, and he speaks, and he reveals himself. And he says, Abraham, I want you to do something. God, what do you want me to do? I want you to leave. Leave what? I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your land, your father's household. And I want you to go to this land I'm going to show you. So there was this very thin place for Abraham, this sacred moment where God breaks into his life like God breaks into your life. And he spoke to him. And he said, this is what, Abraham, I want you to do. I'm going to make you a person that will be blessed and you will bless all the peoples of the world. And he entered into this covenant saying that you're going to have a son in your old age and you'll be the father of many nations. Abraham, go outside. Look at the stars in the sky. Count them. You can't. That's how your offspring is going to be. This is what I'm going to do through you. And so Abraham, he goes. He obeys God. He does what God asked him to do. Because God came to Abraham like God comes to you and like God comes to me, 
breaking into our lives and we experience these thin places where the distance between heaven and earth vanishes and God is near. And at the end of his life, here's how he has talked about. Abraham lived 175 years. That's the same age as my seventh grade English teacher. (laughs) Then Abraham breathed his last and he died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. Now what's not significant is that he died. What's significant is what they said about him after he died. And that's what we're going to study over the next four weeks. So let's talk about this just for a moment, okay? Um, Met a guy one day whose name was Brian. He knew who I was, a preacher. There was a group of us having a conversation together. And we talked about prayer at one point. And Brian says, I think at best, prayer is good therapy for the person who prays. He said, I think at best, prayer is only good therapy for the person who prays. I said, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm not following you there, Brian. Tell me what, you, what you're thinking. He said, okay, it's like this. Billions of people on this planet, right? Billions, yeah. And who knows what's beyond this planet, right? I agree. Do you really think, Brian said to me, that you're going to bow your head and you're going to call out to the one who created everything. You're one of billions. And he's actually going to hear what you say, and then he's going to act on your behalf. That's a pretty pointed question, isn't it? And so I'm processing, Brian is asking me, do I really believe being one, just a, just a peon, just one of billions on this planet, and who knows what's beyond this planet, Right? Do I really believe that I call out to God, the creator of everything, and that he's going to hear me, number one, and number two, that he's actually going to act on my behalf? And I said, Brian, I believe that with everything that is in me. The reason I told you that God reveals himself, makes himself known. He is incarnational. He comes to us. He breaks into our world. He breaks through into our lives. He speaks to us. The reason I told you that true story is because there is another story, and it's Brian's story. It's called deism. It's a way of thinking that began to exist in the 17th century. A deist would say, Reason tells us that there is a creator of the world because of the order in the world, but he is uninvolved. He doesn't do anything now. He set everything in motion. Everything is spinning. All the wheels are turning. Life is being lived, but he is not involved at all. But when I read the story of Abraham, I find a God who is involved who speaks, who breaks through into our lives, who creates thin places, who pushes up his sleeves and gets involved in the mess of humanity. So think with me just for a minute, will you? Um, Max Licato is a Christian author, and 
I remember the first time I read these words from Lakato, okay? And this is good stuff. He says, um, make all major decisions while standing in a cemetery. You should make all major decisions while you're standing in a cemetery. And when he said those words, they made sense to me immediately. I was like, I get it. I think this is a good decision right now, but on my deathbed, well, I still think that was a really good decision. And so here's what I think we do with these words this morning. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot. And, and I want to just come over here and just kind of stand and look at high school seniors this morning and say to you that I know that you feel like you are so young, and there's a reason for that. You are. And your life feels like it's in front of you, and there's a reason for that. It is. But you cannot come to the end of your life someday and say, I did never really experience and come to know and relate to God like a guy like Abraham did. If you would have said to Abraham, do you know God? Do you know what Abraham would have said? He's my friend. Do you know what God would have said about Abraham? We're friends. You can't live your life without thin places. There was an Irish, Celtic, Christian monk whose name was St. Columba. Although he grew up in Ireland, he took the gospel to Scotland and is kind of the guy credited for taking Jesus to the Scottish people. And one day, while on a small island called Iona, off the coast of Scotland, he was praying for the people there. And while he was praying, he said, what I experienced was like a thin place. That's where the idea comes from. It was like the distance between heaven and earth became very thin. It was like a veil that I could see through. It's like I was in another realm, a spiritual realm. It was like I was in the actual presence of God himself. It was a thin place, like Abraham experienced when God came to him over and over again. And it propelled this way of thinking for Celtic spirituality that said... That distance that we sometimes feel from God vanishes, and God becomes very close. They say, Rick, why is this so important? Let me, let me chat with you about that for a minute. There's a guy whose name is Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton was a Catholic. He was, he was a monk. He was a theologian. He was a mystic. And Thomas Merton talked about this. Let me show you his words. Okay, I'll put them on the screen for you. He says, we are living in a world that is absolutely transparent. And God, God Himself, is shining through everything. The thing is that we normally don't see it. I mean, think about those words with me just for a moment. We are in a world that is absolutely transparent, and God is shining through everything. Here's the thing. We just normally don't see it. Do you ever wonder what it is that you don't see? Do you ever wonder what it is that you're missing in life? Because we are going too fast or because we are too distracted or because we are too busy. But the truth is that when we talk about God being present and experiencing a thin place, let me tell you, God is always present. Let me give you another word besides incarnational that tells us about God. It's omnipresent. It means that God is always everywhere. God is always everywhere. The question is, do you see Him? 
And do you recognize him? And do you sense his presence? And for me, sometimes it's when I'm at a holiday event with family. Or it's when I'm standing at the rim of the Grand Canyon. And I say, God, you really are good at what you do. Or maybe it's in church on a Sunday morning. Or maybe it's at a graduation celebration of kindergartners and high school students. So let me finish with this story, okay? Yesterday afternoon, I went to a hospital to see a lady who attends our church. Her name is Bobby Dockham. And Bobby was recovering from a minor surgery, but she was getting continually weaker and weaker. And finally, a trip to the emergency room and lots of tests. They said, Bobby, we had no idea. We were trying to deal with this minor surgery. But there is a mass that is wrapped around your spine. It is lymphoma, and it is in its third stage. We're starting chemo in a few minutes. When I walked in her hospital room yesterday, I listened to her tell me about how that God has given her all of these wonderful medical people who are caring for her, trying to save her life. She said, but they do it with such a great heart. And tears are coming down her cheeks as she's trying to tell me what a rock her husband Gerald has been. And even people in the church like Sharon Brumbelow and others have just come at the right times. And Gerald said, I want to I tell you, Pastor, what God has done for us through all of this and how God is helping us and how God has worked in our situation. And I said to them, tomorrow I'm starting a series called Thin Places. Those times when we're aware that God is very near. And I said, right now you're in a thin place. You're in a sacred moment. You are very aware. I said, He's always been with you, but right now you just know it more. And we held hands and we prayed together. And I walked out of the room knowing that I'd been in the presence of God and down the hall to see a lady whose name is Sue Watson, and almost immediately Sue says to me with tears in her eyes, Pastor, I can't eat anymore. I can't drink anymore. Hospice is coming today. And a nurse kind of burst into the room in that moment and says, there's a couple of things I need to do. And Lyndall, Sue's husband, said, well, this is my pastor could he pray before you do those things? And the nurse says, absolutely. Could I join in? And he said, sure. And she says, do you hold hands when you pray? And we said, yeah. And we all held hands. And I prayed and I thanked God for a thin place, a sacred moment, because I knew in my heart that God was there. I think here's what I'm trying to say to you, whether you're 18 and graduating from high school or whether you're 93, that there comes a time in our lives when we need to know that God is near. We need thin places, right? We need to sense the presence of God. So, Melinda, you're going to come and sing would you come up now and Harlan, would you join her? There's a prayer 
God, I think it would be good for us to pray on this very special day. And as we kind of look back at what God has done and celebrate our kids and our students, and as we look forward into our future, there's this desire, this longing, this need for God. And so, Melinda, would you kind of lead us first in this prayer? And help us to all just kind of focus our hearts in one place. And would you pray this prayer with us?
It is our heart's desire to find that thin place, to find that moment in our lives where you speak so clearly, it's with no question, no doubt, that you love us, that you want us, that you are leading us. I pray for these graduates this morning who are finding the direction of their life, and I pray that they would do it with you solidly behind them. May they continually, as we all should, discover what you're doing in our lives and how we can come alongside you and follow you and let you be all to us that we need to be. So thank you for this day, Father. Pray this in Jesus' name. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.